You are listening to Houston, We Have a Podcast, where we talk everything and anything movies and their reviews, and this is episode two. Hey everybody, show here. Welcome to Houston, We Have a Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Houston, we have a podcast is produced every two weeks for your enjoyment and show notes can be found at soundcloud.com slash Houston, we have a podcast. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or you can find it on iTunes as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at S-N-S-A-L-L-I. That's S-N-S-A-L-L-I. But enough of that. Let's talk some movie news. It's been a few weeks since we spoke about movies and the news that's been going on in Hollywood, so let's get right into it, shall we? Daniel Day-Lewis has announced that he's quitting acting. Pretty remarkable, considering the man has won three Oscars. He has announced that he's quit acting before, so I'm kind of waiting to see whether or not this kind of stays the course and he decides to actually retire, spend some time with his family, that kind of thing. But, you know... He's had such an illustrious, amazing career. He's probably one of the most talented actors ever. Um, Definitely of his own generation, but I suppose that ever covers that as well. And if Daniel Day-Lewis really has decided to hang him up, if this really is the end for him, then, you know, I am a little sad. I have to admit, he's not not my personal favorite actor ever, but I think it's really easy to, to recognize the talent that he has. He is, frankly, one of the best, like I said. And, you know, in movies like Gangs of New York, There Will Be Blood, My Beautiful Laundrum, uh, Launderette, you know, there are so many movies he's been in and made the character his own that no one else could have played that character. I did, li- I did think Lincoln was a bit boring, I admit, but that was, certainly was not his fault. It was an Oscar bait movie if there ever was one, but still, it was fantastic. It deserved the praise it got, as do all of his roles, so... You know, Daniel Lewis, if you ever somehow find yourself listening to my podcast, you're one of the best. I love your work. And if you ever do come back, I'll be the first in line to buy a ticket. So good luck, sir. In other news, Warcraft director Duncan Jones has announced to no one's surprise that he would love to make a sequel. And that were he given the reins to the sequel, the second would cover author Christy Golden's book, Lord of the Clans, while the third in this supposed trilogy would cover the events of Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos, the video game. Uh, Though he announced in a kind of Q&A at a local theater somewhere in the United States that he doesn't think it's going to happen. I mean, okay, let's, let's be real here. The Warcraft movie was not very good. And I know maybe that's not, an, not a popular sentiment with some people. The main problem with that movie was that everything with people in it was awful. Everything about it. The guy from Vikings, he was bad, even though he was cast in that role to play someone he plays in Vikings. You know, they had that kind of weird half-orc, half-human uh, woman who falls in love with one of the characters. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that... In a movie where all of the orcs were completely CGI, completely animated, nothing quote-unquote real about them, to have one character that was a real person, Paula Patton from uh, Mission Impossible, you know, and and she's great and she's a fantastic actress, it's just because they, they decided to have her as a, you know, real person with makeup and props and prosthetics and whatnot, and have all the other orcs as as CGI creations, it looked so unnatural. 
And funnily enough, the human parts look like crap. They all look like extras coming off a set of, you know, some crappy old science fiction fantasy TV show, whereas the orcs were gorgeously, lovingly animated. Frankly, if they had just taken all the humans out of that movie, it would have been fine. I would have greatly enjoyed it. It's just that one of the primary issues is they, they just decided to tell a boring story. For most people, orcs are kind of ubiquitous with the fantasy setting, thanks to things like Lord of the Rings and... You know, Warcraft took a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings, as is pretty much all fantasy. I mean, let's be real. But, you know, they just told a boring story. They, to- they told a story of immigration and-, and orcs coming to this new land. Maybe they thought that would be topical, but it just fell a little flat for me, and I feel like it fell flat for a lot of people. The other issue, of course, was that the movie kind of just whipped from location A to B to C to D in the span of about 15 minutes. And, you know, with a, with a simple title card saying, this is place X, and this is place Y, and this is place Z... And unless you were a hardcore fan of the series, you weren't going to know any of these places. I have played Warcraft. I've played World of Warcraft and I've played Warcraft 3. Those are the primary ones I've played. And even I was kind of lost most of the time, I I freely admit. So if Duncan Jones does get the opportunity to make a new one, and as I recall, it made a decent amount of money overseas and it flopped terribly in the box office domestically. But if he does get a chance to make another one, I hope he learns from his mistakes of course, the Warcraft has some absolutely brilliant stories. If they ever actually get to tell the story of Warcraft 3, Reign of Chaos, that's the one with Prince Arthas becoming the Lich King and all that stuff. Man, I would be the first person in line to see that movie because that, to me, the story of Arthas being this kind of tragic hero, fallen hero, you know, it's a wonderful idea. And, you know, if they ever, they could also adapt Christy Golden's book for that too, right? So they have a lot of material to work with. And I hope, I hope that. If they make this movie, they learn from their mistakes, but, you know, not looking too likely. Finally, let's talk some Star Wars. There have been a lot of news about the Star Wars universe, that galaxy far, far away, in recent days and of course we have to start with Carrie Fisher now of course Carrie Fisher has been pronounced dead since December she was uh, given a tribute at the Star Wars convention which I managed to attend yep mega nerdy I know but uh, when the news of her death came out the reports you know they said you know Carrie Fisher had been over the course of her life subject to very various mental illnesses and she had sought help and she was very candid about that and which i which i think is fantastic and does a lot for regular people with that kind of those kind of ailments but uh a few months ago or a month ago let's say it was announced that i believe the headline was specifically cause of death for carrie fisher as announced by the coroner was quote-unquote sleep apnea and other causes okay fair enough I'm, i admit i don't know a lot about sleep apnea but you know, maybe after a long life of, you know, having struggling with addiction and drugs and that kind of thing, it just took its toll. And that is what did her in. That's unfortunate. It's terrible. But that's what happened. Well, a little while ago, it was announced that these quote unquote other causes were hard drugs like heroin, cocaine and something else. And well, you know, way to bury the lead there, news networks. I mean, of course, if they had known that, I have absolute faith that they would have reported that because not not out of the, out of the goodness of their hearts, of course. They would have just wanted to be the first outlets to break that a, a venerable film star died of a drug overdose, right? But 
And I, the odd thing to me, I found truly, was that after this news broke, people were suddenly, you know, putting their hands to their chest and saying, "Oh my God, I I can't believe it. I I, I am shocked. Frankly, I am shocked." And that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Carrie Fisher, like I said before, was always very honest about her own struggles with both mental illnesses and drugs and addiction. And the fact that that's what she eventually what eventually did her in doesn't lessen that at all. I think it's something that should be looked at and something that should be examined and should not be vilified, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, and, and it's not that... Had she been secretive about it, it would have been better. I mean, she still died of a drug overdose, and that's very unfortunate. But I don't think it diminishes Carrie Fisher's legacy in any way because she has always been very forthcoming about it. So, you know, Miss Fisher, wherever you are, I always respected you. You're always one of my favorite actresses from back when I was a little boy. Star Wars is one of my favorite film franchises ever, as it is for most people. So I'll just say I hope you're in a better place, and may the Force be with you. In other Star Wars news, we'll move over to the untitled Han Solo movie, which was being directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, both, of course, known for the Lego movie, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They're both very talented comedic directors, both very, very talented in general. And, of course, they were tapped to direct the untitled Han Solo movie for Lucasfilm. Well, it was announced that a few days ago, they were let go, and the movie has now been scheduled for reshoots. It's announced that via a number of sources, The Hollywood Reporter, Entertainment Weekly, Slash Film, that the directors were let go because their visions were not aligned, I suppose, with Lucasfilm's vision and that of Kathleen Kennedy. Now, I've seen a lot of uh, criticism. Now, I've seen a lot of criticism about Kathleen Kennedy for this, as if these two guys, Lord and Miller, can do no wrong. That it must have been something that Kathleen Kennedy did not tell them. That it must have been that they are doing a great job and Kathleen Kennedy is the worst and blah, 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 blah. Look, Kathleen Kennedy is their boss. She hired them with a vision in mind and they have, they have to do what she wants. I mean, you can talk about creative differences and creativity and all this stuff all you want. But at the end of the day... This is not some indie film, right? This is not some little project. This is a Star Wars movie. And Lucasfilm and Disney are very, very, very careful about their brand and what goes out on the screen. And I think they've been very careful in that way ever since the prequels were what they were, for better or for worse. And I totally applaud Kathleen Kennedy for looking at the situation and saying, hey, this is not what I hired you guys for. Do what I want you to do. And if they if they felt they couldn't do it, then I... Perhaps it was best overall for them to leave the project. It has been since announced that Ron Howard, director of Apollo 13 and other movies, I mean, there's Apollo 13 and then there's also Angels and Demons on one hand. So, you know, who knows which version of Ron Howard we're going to get. But uh, he has been announced to take over the movie. And recently he tweeted a picture of some water bottles saying this is all, all he was allowed to share on the first day of shooting. But, you know... Perhaps the Star Wars movie is going to be in good hands. Of course, everyone is saying, is this the first one we're going to get? A, is this the first Star Wars movie that's going to be a flop? Is this the first one? But of course, everyone said that about Rogue One and look where that got us, right? So I think we'll be fine. I, for one, even though I was initially not super excited to watch the Han Solo movie, primarily because I did not think it was super necessary, I'm still, I'm still going to go watch it the day it comes out, probably multiple times. 
Donald Glover is in it as Lando Calrissian. Amelia Clark is in it. I mean, how bad could it really be, right? I know, famous last words, right? But, uh, you know, we'll uh, keep uh, keep our hopes up and we'll move forward from there. And I'm sure we'll review it on the podcast when the movie comes out next year. That's it for our movie news roundup. Hopefully there'll be some more interesting things to talk about next week. I'll always keep my eyes open and always feel free to message me with things you want to discuss. But for now, let's get into the meat of the matter, the actual movie reviews. First up on the docket, Cars 3. Cars 3, to me, is honestly such a fascinating movie. And to really understand all the interesting things that it brought up within the movie itself, you kind of have to go back to the first movie, which was simply titled Cars. Now, I know it's not one of the most, how should I put this, revered, let's say, Pixar movies out there, right? And the simple reason for this is just because when you compare Cars to movies like Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., WALL-E, Up, Ratatouille, right? It, it does fall a little short. It's a little more average, and I think perhaps it gets reviewed or looked back on a little more harshly than other movies because, you know, the standards for Pixar are that much higher than perhaps anything else. Now, that doesn't make it a bad movie. It just makes it perhaps not a Pixar-level quality movie. But then again, it's still a movie with a lot of heart, a lot of interesting characters, and a fun and good lesson for children. And, you know, maybe that's all you really need sometimes. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to Cars 2. And if you recall in the first movie, there was Mater, the tow truck, who was voiced by comedian Larry the Cable Guy. And, you know, he was a warm and funny addition to the movie and maybe not everyone's cup of tea, kind of like Jar Jar Binks, to go back to the Star Wars we were talking about earlier. But in that same respect, you know, some people liked him, some people didn't. What are you going to do, right? Unfortunately, because even though he was such a divisive character, Pixar decided to make Mater the star of Cars 2. Now, in between those movies or somewhere around the movies, they turned Cars into a... A TV show. I believe it was called Mater's Tall Tales, and it was just Mater telling stories, and then they would visualize these stories of him going off doing crazy things, you know, blowing up things and going on adventures, but they were just stories he was telling to, I believe, Lightning or other characters in the Cars universe, right? So it turns out that Cars 2 is just a gigantic Mater's Tall Tales, and, you know, none of it really happened, but it's all things that are, for lack of a better term, real, quote-unquote, in the Cars universe with the kind of aspects he's talking about, even though it's really kind of, kind of a fulfillment fantasy for him. You know, it's a spy movie with Michael Caine and the rest of these guys, right? But anyways, it was very forgettable. It was outright bad, easily the worst movie Pixar has ever created, and I really don't think they're going to go that low again. Cars really was a merchandising thing, and Cars 2 was a way to capitalize on that merchandising scheme. But uh, whatever, it was bad. So now that we have the backstory, Cars 3. Now, Cars 3, honestly, for me, raises a lot of questions. My goodness, this movie raises a lot of questions. At the base, it's a story about Lightning having... Lightning McQueen, of course, voiced by Owen Wilson, coming to the end of his career. He's won a whole bunch of Piston Cups, which is the, you know, Super Bowl or whatever you want to call it of the racing world. You know, the Sprint Cup, I should say, of the uh, Cars universe. And... 
you know, he is struggling with the idea that the youngsters, the new cars, and they are personified by the villain car, Jackson Storm, voiced by Army Hammer, right? So he's come, he's struggling to come to terms with that he's getting old and he just can't compete in the way he used to. He trains with a young trainer, Cruz Ramirez, and together they go on a journey to find out, you know, how why Lightning is missing his mojo and how he can regain it to win his final race of his career, right? In a nutshell, that is the basic plot of Cars 3 and, you know, it's everything you can expect. The ending is very predictable. Everything works out for Lightning. Everything works out for Cruz. Army Hammer uh, and Jackson Storm, the character he voices, are vanquished as usual. You know, like, everyone gets what's coming to them in either for better or for worse, right? So that's not the interesting part of Cars 3. And I'll give you an example. Earlier in the movie, Lightning and Cruz travel to find the old crew chief of Doc Hudson. And Doc, if you remember, was voiced by Paul Newman before he passed away, the legendary Paul Newman. And Doc becomes Lightning's crew chief, and he kind of helps him over his career, and they do great things together, right? Well, they, in their, they basically go to find Doc's old crew chief in a kind of hope that he'll be able to train up Lightning in a, in a great way that'll let him compete again. Well... I mean, they do, and it's all well and good. And they basically go to the middle of middle of effing nowhere, and that's where they find this guy, you know. He's not dead, as the jokes are made, but uh, voiced by Chris Cooper, very entertaining character. But they find all the old race cars that raced with Doc in his heyday, all the other race cars. And one of the interesting things about this movie was that there was a, there's a woman race car, and she's kind of Cruz Ramirez's role model, and there's another race car, and... You know, they all have various different names, but they talk about how oh, girls weren't allowed to race back then, so she had to, you know, swipe a number, and that's what let her race. And then the other car talks about, yeah, they didn't let cars of my color race back then, and, you know, you kind of had to take what was, you know, take what you wanted and not just wait for it to be given to you. So they're talking about sexism and racism. They're talking about fighting segregation because they talked about how this other car had to race in a different league. You know, it seems to be analogous to the Negro League in baseball. You know, does that mean there was racism in the Cars universe or sexism even to this point? I mean, another, another point in the movie later on with those same characters, they talk about how they smuggled moonshine. What on earth were they smuggling? Like, they weren't smuggling moonshine. What, what was it? Super fuel? You know? A- another question. Why are there handles on the doors of the cars? I mean, there no one gets in the cars. Can people actually get in the cars? Like, I don't know if doors ever open in any of the Cars movies or the TV show. You know? We, we see a little car who screams Lightning's name. It's like a, light, a little fan, like a little kid, right? Does that little car grow? Can he physically grow? If he does, does the metal expand or are they just rebuilt at some point around their life you know if that's the case exactly how was lightning fixed after his crash is that the same thing as taking steroids in a professional sport can and if it's not can he just upgrade himself and if he can can anyone be a race car you know like can mater be a race car can he just get a new body like he can in real life and just take the engine out and put it in a new car or is the engine his brain or his heart that can't be transplanted or is that his soul oh man you know, it just, it raises so many questions. Oh my goodness. I, I, I don't think really it was intended to make all these questions, but it really makes me think, honestly. And I know that sounds dumb, but my goodness, it's, it's such a fascinating movie for that, for those reasons alone, really. But, you know, if you want to talk about why, if you want to talk about 
the actual movie and the, the narrative and all that, you know, it was great. It, it tells a cohesive story. You know, the villain is perhaps a little underused in Jackson Storm. He was just kind of a pompous jerk instead of a real, you know, malevolent villain. But then again, Chick Hicks, who was voiced by Michael Keaton in the first one, you know, he also wasn't that evil. He was just kind of a jerk. And that's kind of the same thing in all racing movies in real life anyways, right? They're no like evil dudes who try to murder each other. They just want to win and are kind of assholes about it, right? So, I mean, it's not anything special. I, I believe the rating for that movie in terms of uh, out of 10 is sitting somewhere in the upper sixes, lower sevens, and that's probably accurate. It was a fun movie. You know, I'm probably going to buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray to complete my Pixar collection, but that's about it. Nothing super remarkable, but it was a good time. Always fun to hear Owen Wilson's voice again, and there are some fun uh, guest stars in the movie. Oh, and of course, we we go back to Radiator Springs briefly and see Flo and the rest of the characters there, right? So, no real complaints in this movie. Good movie, but if you have a brainwave about why there was segregation or racism or sexism or prohibition, apparently, since they smuggled moonshine, you let me know because, man, I am dying to find out more. Well, we talked about one vehicle-related movie. Let's talk about one more. And I'll promise you this, it's not nearly as good, but it's way more fun to rag on bad movies. And this one is Transformers 5, The Last Night. You got the touch! You got the that is, of course, the sound of the 1980s Transformers movie. You know, Optimus Prime dies, Unicron eats... Moonbase 1 and Cybertron, uh, Megatron dies and is turned into Galvatron, Starscream dies. Basically, it was the movie where the Transformers killed off all the really popular Transformers, so you'd buy all their new toys like Ultra Magnus and Hot Rod and Galvatron and, you know, all those guys, right? But uh, I I played that just because, you know, the Transformers movies don't really have a definitive soundtrack for the Michael Bay versions, and frankly, this one's uh, way better. But, you know, let's get to talking about the movie itself. In the interest of full disclosure with Transformers 5, I had actually been looking forward to this movie for quite some time. I'm the kind of person who has a Decepticon symbol on the back of my car, right? I have all of the Transformer DVDs, I have the box set for the original cartoon, you know, I have the original Soundwave and Megatron from when I was a little kid, you know, I watched the Beast Wars and Beast Machines. I'm a pretty big Transformers fan. And I've seen the other four, and I mean, they've gotten progressively worse. And so I, I expected this one to be bad. I, I really did, I admit. And oh my god, was it ever bad. You know what's amazing about that, though? It was one, This is honestly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And it was still better than Transformers 4 Age of Extinction. Isn't that amazing? I mean, one of the cardinal sins a movie can have, for me at least, or an action movie, I should say, is to be boring. And Age of Extinction, which was Transformers 4, was was terribly boring. Even in the crazy parts where they're blowing things up and whatnot, it was incredibly boring. I, I can't quite say that for the last night. It's just that all the other things about this movie are terrible. And I'll, I'll preface this now. I really do want to talk about some spoilers for this movie, so I am just going to talk about them. So you've been warned. There are spoilers, though... I mean, judging by the ratings of this movie, you probably don't have that much to worry about. There's not a lot of continuity. It's just for like a Transformers fan like myself, and you haven't seen it, if you're really holding out hope, you know. But let me be the first to tell you that this is a kind of abandon hope, all ye who enter here kind of situation. It it really is that bad. But, you know, there are a few redeeming factors. Exactly two. There are exactly two 
redeeming factors, which is enough to qualify to say a few. Uh, so we'll start by talking about those, then we'll get to the really bad stuff. The first of the really good things, or good things, I shouldn't even say really good things, but the first of the good things is Anthony Hopkins. Now, most people know who Anthony Hopkins is. He's one of the world's most famous actors. He's been around for a long time, won an act Oscar for, uh, you know, playing Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs many years ago. And, um, you know, he's fantastic. Always brings a kind of sense of gravitas to the movies he's in, right? So a lot of people were kind of thinking, why on earth is Anthony Hopkins in a Transformers movie? I kind of think it was just for the paycheck. Or maybe he's just at, at the age now where he's kind of like, you know what, F it. I'm going to do fun movies. And and I can't, say, I can't say that Michael Bay is a bad director. He clearly has an eye for action and an eye for directing big blockbuster set pieces. He's clearly quite talented in that regard. It's just all the other stuff he's not super good at. Maybe Anthony Hopkins just wanted to be a part of that. Who knows, right? Anyways, all of his lines of dialogue were silly. That is why I think I enjoy it so much. If they had taken those exact lines of dialogue and given them to literally any other actor, even other venerable older actors, I don't think it would have worked. Anthony Hopkins is just so well known for being this respectable, genuine, amazing person, actor, you know, like I said, brings the gravitas, brings the real meat to the scripts, right? That... It was funny to hear him say dumb crap. You know, like there's a scene where uh, he meets Mark Wahlberg for the first time and Marky Mark is great as he usually is with the dumbfounded expressions. And, you know, I think he's really found his niche there. But, um, you know, they meet for the first time and Mark Wahlberg looks up at the castle behind Anthony Hopkins and he says, wow, you know, he says something like, wow, that's a real... Like, real bitchin' castle you got there, bro. He says a bro a lot in this movie. And, and Anthony Hopkins, he turns back to the castle, and then he looks back at Marky Mark and says, Yes, that is a bitchin' castle, bro. And it's just a lot of a lot of silly-ass lines like that. And they're, they're so out of the blue. Even after you come to expect that he's kind of a silly character, it, it never really gets old. There's another scene in a library where Anthony Hopkins... He kind of yells, make a description while he's ripping a page out of a book. And it was the most unexpected thing I have seen. And it made me laugh more than a lot of other things that made me laugh recently. My goodness, that was funny. The other really good part, again, I, stop, I have to stop saying really. Just uh, The other decent part of this movie was the action. One of the huge criticisms of this movie for a long, long time have been that when the Transformers actually fight, you can't really tell what's going on. It's just a mess of metal, a mess of moving parts. It's just kind of a blur of gray and, you know, shades of gray, and that's kind of it. You can't really tell, right? I'm happy to say that this movie has ended that problem. All of the fights are very distinct. You know, that's some a criticism that Michael Bay probably took to heart, since that's the kind of thing he really likes, apparently. You know, anytime Optimus, Optimus fights anyone, whether it's Bumblebee when he's evil or the other Transformers when he's not evil, I mean, come on, that's not a spoiler. He was not going to be evil the whole movie. But, uh, and you can you can kind of tell what's going on. Everything is very clear. A lot of the fights are during the day, which I think helps a lot, frankly. You know, all the, all the important characters kind of have their own unique, at least visually, color scheme. Megatron is not just gray anymore. You know, he's kind of reddish you know reddish burgundy yes megatron did die in a few movies ago and it is not explained why he's still alive but whatever he is um 
But you know, he has his own color scheme. Optimus, of course, is still kind of red and purple flamed truck. You know, you can still see those colors very clearly. Bumblebee, of course, is bright yellow. You can see that very clearly. All the other Transformers are, you know, shades of red and green and blue and very bright primary colors. And I think it really helps the uh, action, or at least being able to follow the action. Well, if the good things were the only things you were waiting to hear on the podcast, you can probably leave now because there's really nothing else that's really good at all about this movie, right? But to keep the review a little shorter, I'll focus on three things that the movie, I think, really did poorly. Now, the first one is a very simple one. If you're going to see a movie about Transformers, you have to think about what are Transformers? They're gigantic robots with gigantic guns or gigantic swords that kill other gigantic robots with gigantic guns and gigantic swords and make huge explosions while they're doing it. They leave a wake of destruction and that's, that is what you're going to see, right? You're going to see all of that stuff. You're not going to see the people. You're not there to see Shia LaBeouf. You're not there to see Megan Fox. You're not there to see whatever model was in the third one. You're not there to see Mark Wahlberg. You're not really there to see Anthony Hopkins. You're not there to see any of these people. You are there to see Optimus Prime and Megatron beat the living daylights out of each other and all the other random Autobots and Decepticons while wreaking havoc on the planet Earth. That's why you go to see this movie. That is why, right? And it's like someone sat down in the studio, whether it was Michael Bay or the studio executives or whomever, and they said to themselves, you know what this movie could do more with? more people and less Transformers. I mean, there's a part in the first act of the movie where Optimus, we kind of see that he's off in his mission. At the end of the fourth movie, he flies off into space. So we see him kind of floating through space at the very beginning of the movie. And then he meets his creator. And then we don't see him again for another hour and a half. An hour and a half for the most famous Transformer ever, right? And we don't see him again for most of the movie. When he comes back, he kicks some ass, and then that's kind of it. And then, you know, they kind of just lump all the Transformers together. Who thought that was a good idea? I don't want to see the people. I mean, Mark Wahlberg is probably the most bearable character in the whole movie, and it's still dumb. I mean, I don't understand why that decision was made. It is truly baffling to me, and it makes them actively worse every time the humans are on screen. Now, the second thing I was going to talk about is another human kind of related issue. You may have seen in the trailer for this movie a little uh, Hispanic girl, and she says, I want to stay, and I want to fight them. Talking about the Transformers and, you know, that her family's been taken from her and blah, 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 blah. I know, very sad. Her name is Isabella with a Z, as she very carefully articulates for us in the movie. And, you know, she is honestly an unbearable part. I usually can look past that. But they, they shoehorned her character in in a way that was, it, it changed the center of a lot of these scenes, you know? It changed what we were looking at, it changed why we were looking at them, you know? They just kind of shoehorned her in, and I don't really understand why. She was a, a 13 or 14-year-old girl. We already had Mark Wahlberg, we already had the female uh, character who was a doctor and unfortunately was reduced to, you know, wearing very tight body dresses and were being referred to as a stripper. I mean, it was the women representation in these movies are pretty poor as it is. But um, that aside, I don't really understand why they put this character in it at all, really. I mean, she was just annoying. She was annoying at every part. You know, it slowed the action down. It, it, it stopped us from, you know, getting a bunch of fights because she would run out into the middle of a firefight and kind of get shot at by Megatron or other things, and Mark Wahlberg would have to drop everything to save her. And then bafflingly later on in the movie, it's like Mark Wahlberg forgot that his character has a daughter and, 
she's off at college and then he basically says hey kid hey isabella you're family you're our family now like what on earth what the hell like come on isabella sucked I'm sorry. That was just an unnecessary part of the movie. And if you cut out literally every scene that girl is in, the movie would not have changed one bit. And it annoys me that they wasted my time, frankly, with putting her in there. Now, okay, the third bit, and I know this this will sound like nitpicking because it is kind of nerdy. I mentioned the, the 1980s Transformers movie before, and I mentioned Unicron. Now, Unicron is in this movie, okay? Technically... He's been in all of the movies. Why? Because Unicron secretly is Earth. Unicron, the Transformer, the, the, the Transformer that eats other planets, is actually the planet Earth the whole time. I don't really understand how that even makes sense. They talk about how his mouth horn things, like he has these kind of horns in the cartoon that let him, like when they pop out of the Earth in the kind of a circle, like the Sarlacc pit has in, in uh, Star Wars, and it kind of eats planets and that's like his mouth basically when he's in planet mode so we see the horns in the movie and then they talk about how like the the horns were on pangea back when you know earth was still like that and then the horns kind of moved all around the world when their continents split so that kind of confused me because they really imply that those were the mouth horn things unless they unless they didn't mean to right and and maybe that makes more sense but if they did mean to it doesn't make any sense because he's a he's a if he's a transformer how on earth can those things move right like maybe they're big moving parts maybe the continents are all transformers who the hell knows all I know is that Unicron was one of the coolest transformers voiced by Orson Welles in one of his last ever performances before he died and they reduced that to earth and he doesn't even do anything it's not like he's a real character he's like basically part of the setting and they haven't they had an after credit scene where they tease the fact that unicron might wake up or something and i mean they already kind of marketed this movie as the final chapter in the in the transformers series so i mean i don't know if there was that was just there like just in case this movie makes a hundred billion bajillion trillion dollars as it probably will overseas um and they can just you know keep milking this as long as they want to but I don't know. That was just a big disappointment. They also mentioned that Bumblebee was in World War II and we get to see a brief clip of him fighting Nazis and there was a watch that killed Hitler and all sorts of stuff, you know. They already announced, actually, that the next Transformers movie is a, a Bumblebee spinoff, a solo movie, so I wouldn't be surprised if it took place in World War II since that seems to be, you know, all the rage these days. But uh, anyway, so Transformers 5, a hot mess. You know, I went to go see it on a cheap Tuesday, so I felt a little better about myself for having seen it that way. But, I mean, ultimately, you know, not that great a movie. Really not that great at all. And if it wasn't clear, I'm saying don't go see the movie. It's awful. It's atrocious. Just don't go see it, please. For your own sanity and for mine. Because if I, if this review, I ever learned that this actually pushed you to go see it because it was so bad, I'll feel really bad about myself. So please, please please don't do it. Well, those are the movies that we reviewed this week, Cars 3 and Transformers 5. I actually was tempted to stick in a third quick review of Baywatch, which I did actually finally get around to seeing on another Cheap Tuesday recently. And you know what? I'll sneak in a quick mini review right now. It sucks. Don't go see it. It's very raunchy. A lot of dick jokes and poop jokes and boob jokes and all that stuff. But you know what? As much as I love The Rock, he and the rest of them forgot that a comedy movie has to have comedy in it. It has to be funny. It wasn't funny. I believe I went to go see that movie in a theater full of teenagers, 
And the only time any of the 30 people on that theater laughed was when Zac Efron's character was referred to as High School Musical. And I'm sure you can guess why, because those movies were very popular with that age group. But David Hasselhoff appeared on screen, not a peep. Pamela Anderson appeared on screen, not a peep. The movie was just bad. It didn't know how to make people laugh. And that's unfortunate because it did actually waste the charisma of The Rock quite a lot. That was the other issue, too. The Rock and uh, Zac Efron's character, one of them should have been the quote-unquote straight man, and the other one should have been the silly character for the straight man to play off of. The problem was they could never decide who was going to be the straight man. First it was The Rock, then it was Zac Efron, then they changed back to The Rock, then they changed back to Zac Efron. It's just not great. So to wrap it all up, if you could avoid Baywatch, I sincerely, wholeheartedly encourage you to do so. It's just, it's just not very good. They talked about making a sequel and some after credit scene between The Rock and uh, David Hasselhoff in real life. And, you know, the movie did, did so poorly at the box office, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they just abandoned this and moved on to another property. I mean, it's not like Baywatch was some beloved property anyways, right? And I suppose if you were going to see it for TNA, I mean, that's what you get to see, although there's far more male frontal nudity than there is of, for any of the women. Not that I'm saying that's a bad thing, but... Considering the source material, it was kind of weird, you know? Um, but not like it matters. It was a terrible, awful movie, and um, please avoid it. I feel like I've seen a lot of really crappy movies recently. Transformers 5, you know, Baywatch. I actually went to go see Rough Night as well, and that was very mediocre. Car City was okay. I saw King Arthur. You know, I've seen a lot of these movies that have been really aggressively mediocre or straight-up bad, and... I really wanted to see a movie that's a good one, you know? And so there are two good movies coming up on the radar. These are going to be the next two movies that we discuss on the podcast. Baby Driver, which by all counts is absolutely fantastic. I'm very excited to go see it. And I will be definitely reviewing this movie on the podcast. Directed by Edgar Wright, stars Ansel Egort from Fault in Our Stars, but also stars John Hamm, Kevin Spacey, Jamie Foxx, you know? A lot of very famous crew and a lot of very famous people, so I'm very excited to see it. We will definitely talk about it on the podcast. And the second movie we'll be talking about is Spider-Man Homecoming. And it's likely we may have a guest, one of my good friends, who is a huge Spider-Man fan, resident expert, owns tons of Spider-Man comics, so we'll have him on the show as well to talk a little bit about Spider-Man and the ups and downs of the movie. So we'll get our first guest on Houston. We have a podcast, and I'm very excited for that. That's it from me for tonight. Hopefully you all enjoyed the episode. I enjoy talking about these movies. It's always more fun, I think, to talk about the bad movies than it is to talk about the good ones. Though I am, like I said, very excited to talk some Baby Driver and Spider-Man next week. Usually the episodes come out every two weeks, but because these movies are just coming out, I think I'm going to make an exception. And as soon as Spider-Man is out, we'll talk Baby Driver and a new Marvel edition as well. This has been Houston We Have a Podcast, Episode 2. Thank you for listening, and good night. Nobody messing with a gang. Might take a fly out for the weekend. Yeah, and go can, cause I can't go low, go low. Everybody get low. low.